0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 17, beginning in verse 6. It's page 903 in a pew Bible this morning. John 17, starting in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know them in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Last Sunday morning on Easter Sunday, we looked at uh, part of what we just read this morning. The part where it says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And just by way of reminder, what we said last Sunday morning is that when Jesus is saying, I manifested your name, what he is saying is, I have manifested to your people who you are, Father. That's what the name of God is. It describes who God is. And so when he talks about the name, he's talking about manifesting, presenting to a people who God is. We went further to say that that when we see who God is and really see that, we are seeing His glory. We're seeing His beauty. And one of the texts that we went back to 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 get a description of that beauty, one of the ways God is described in the Old Testament, we looked at Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. Let me read it to you again. It says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to hanger and abounding, in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? And in that, we saw both God's glory in his mercy and God's glory in his justice. And, and in order to get the full orb picture of who God is, you have to keep those two things together. You have to you have to see his mercy and that he is a merciful god but he's also a just god and we talked about the question of how can both of those be true how can how can god be merciful and give mercy to thousands and yet at the same time do what it says who will in no means clear the guilty i hope all of us even here again this morning realize we're all guilty. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how, how can we have it both ways? How can God be merciful and at the same time be just? That is the greatest question I think anyone can ever, in many ways, seek to try to reconcile. When you When you really wrestle with those two things, it leads you to only one place. It leads you to the logical conclusion of those two things, of that dilemma. And it is Christ. It is the gospel. It is that in fact, as we prayed this morning, our guilt was imputed to him. And his righteousness was imputed to us. That is the glory of the gospel. But if you only get one part of who he is, if you only see him as merciful you don't understand it. And if you only see him as just, you don't understand it. Both of those things together and how God, as we've said multitudes of times, how God can in fact forgive our sin and declare us not guilty and justify us and yet at the same time uphold his justice. We should marvel forever about that. In fact, I think we will in all eternity continue to marvel at that kind of thing. But that is what Jesus was saying. That's the kind of thing he was saying when he says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He was manifesting who God was and is. And now this morning, we begin to turn it a bit and we, we begin to ask the question, I hope you ask the question of, for whom does he do such a glorious thing? For whom does he do such a glorious thing where he he imputes righteousness to them and he gets our guilt so that, in fact, God can do both, forgive our sin and still be just? For whom does he do it? Look at the text this morning. I, there's lots of ways we could answer that maybe, but look from the text the way it's answered. It says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. You, Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Two things I think it says about that. It's the ones it's the ones to whom the Father gave the Son. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It says it several times in this prayer, in this high priestly prayer of Jesus. He talks about those that the Father gave to him. Those are the ones that he forgives their sin. And continues to remain just in doing so. If you look at it several times, you look again at verse 11, and it says, And, and I, no long, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then it goes on in verse 12. It says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you gave, have given me. And then he goes down in verse 14. I have given them your word. And he's talking about those whom the Father gave to the Son. That, that certainly has mystery in it. But it's not everyone. It's not everyone that God is merciful to and upholds his justice in. Because if, if there are people who have not looked to Christ, have not looked to the remedy, it is still true that God cannot pardon the guilty. They remain guilty. And the truth of the matter is he will not remain merciful forever to them because he can't. Because both of those things have to be of who he is. He must be merciful because he said he's merciful, but he must be just because he said he is just. And the two come together in the cross. But it goes on to describe then How do we recognize them? It's one thing about it's those whom the Father has given to the Son. But in this text then we might ask the question how do we recognize those people? How do we know who those people are whom the Father has given to the Son? And he goes on to say it this way. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. That's the way he describes them. They have kept your word and what i want to do before we come now to the table and these elements will be passed to you for us to partake i want to just answer the question the question is what does it look like to keep your word what what does that look like in the lives of those the father has given the son what does it look like for them to keep the word? How does that process work out in those the Father has given to the Son, if you will? I think it, it, it happens in three ways, at least, that I want to talk about this this morning. First of all, they heard the word. The first thing we must say about those who have kept the word, they had to hear the word. Romans says, how how can they hear unless somebody tells them? Somebody's got to speak the word to them. And, and first of all, they, they heard a word. They heard the word. Um, in verse 8, it says, I have given them the words you have given to me. In verse 8, Jesus says, I've given them the words you gave to me. If you go to John chapter 1 and verse 1, early on in this chapter that we've been walking through, the latter part of it now, Jesus says, or the, or the word says, the scripture says, John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. And then in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, these words. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. When it says in this text, they have kept your word, they first had to hear that word because the scripture says, that the word, which is Jesus' word, that the Father gave to Him, He is the word that comes. But they can't, they can't hear it. They can't keep it until they have heard it. And the Scripture says, "Faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of Christ." That's how faith has come. If you're a believer today, if you're in the kingdom today, you. You came to faith through the word, through hearing a word about Christ. You heard it. And God took that word and he caused you to be born again. He caused you to enter into the kingdom. He caused you to pass from death to life because you heard a word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Listen to what Peter says, how he describes it. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. How do we come to faith? How do we come to life? Well, it begins by hearing something. You might also say seeing something. Maybe you see it. Maybe you see it and therefore you hear it. You hear it because you've seen it, you've read it, you hear it, you're, you're, you're your person hears that word it hears it and when it hears it god uses that word it's it's uh it's the idea of of seeing the glory of god in the face of christ you you hear the word of christ you see the beauty of god in the face of christ in the word of christ and god brings you to faith so it it begins first of all by Hearing it. They had to hear the word. They had to hear the word. It's a good admonition to us as we go out to share our faith with others. What, where is the power in that? Now certainly, at times we, we tell our testimony of faith, we tell what God did in our lives, and there, is, there certainly is merit to that. But the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Make sure that as you do that, that the word of Christ is present in that. Um, There's lots of traditions, lots of faith kind of um, things that will talk about experience and they'll tell you their experience. Experience in itself doesn't save us. Now certainly when we encounter the word and, and God works and uses that word to create faith in us, it creates an experience. But it's the word that is the power. The word, the word about Christ, the word of Christ. And here the scripture says the second thing that happens. It says um, that they received the word. If you look here in the text, it says, For I have given them the words, in verse 8, that you gave me, and they received them. They were given them, they heard them, and then as they heard them, they received those words. They received the word. Verse 7 says, Everything you have given me comes from you. And, and they heard the word about God through Christ. They, they came in a pre-cross understanding of Jesus as Messiah. You have to understand, these were, this was before Jesus had left. This was in the last hours of his time with his disciples. These particular disciples who he says received the word didn't have a full-orbed understanding of that word and what that word, Christ, was going to do in going to the cross. In fact, they were, they were much confused about all of that in many ways. But the scripture says they received the word. What word did they receive? To what degree did they receive that word, the word about Christ? What they received was that they had an understanding that God had sent Jesus. Jesus. That God had sent. He was the one God had promised to send. He was the Messiah. They didn't understand all of how that was going to work its way out. They didn't understand the cross. They didn't understand that He would betray, be betrayed. They didn't understand those things. But they did understand He was the one sent from God. They understood that. And, and what it's talking about in this text here at this point in the disciples' lives, is the contrast, the contrast between those who did not receive it and the ones who did receive the word. To the degree to which they had received the word about Christ, they had welcomed it, they had accepted it, they had received it into their lives. And, and that receiving had to do with the fact that the Father had sent him and they knew that he came from the Father. They knew that he was the promised one though they didn't know all that was going to happen. I would invite you to turn with me to John chapter 6 for a minute. And, and there you see the contrast. The best way to understand this is to, to understand it in the contrast of, of what the opposite of it meant. And here in this particular account, John chapter 6, we see the contrast between one who receives the word and one who doesn't. John chapter 6 and verse 60, listen to what it says. It says, when many of his disciples heard it. And this word disciple is kind of in the loose understanding of the, of the word. <laughs> the loose understanding of the word. Um, in other words, it, it goes on to say this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Who can receive it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spiritual and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. He was speaking to the contrast here. He was speaking to those who were following him as disciples described. But they really hadn't believed. They really had not received the word. They had not come to understand that Jesus was the one sent from God. In fact, he says, if you take offense now, what are you going to do when you see more of what it means that the word has come? When you begin to see what happens after um, I'm betrayed and crucified. And so there we see the contrast, the contrast. And one of the things they saw, these are hard things. These are hard things. How can we receive them? So that's the contrast, really. You see, they have to hear. They, they, can't, they can't receive it till they've heard it. But many who hear it say, this is a hard thing. This is a hard thing. How can we believe this? How can we receive this? In contrast to the disciples who received it. They received it. They heard it. They they saw with their eyes the glory in it, the beauty in it, the beauty of this one sent from God and they received him. They received him to the degree that they could. They received they stayed with him. They didn't leave him. In this text here that we just read in John chapter 6, it says that many left and no longer followed him. They walked away because they didn't receive him that they'd heard about. And then thirdly, we go to the third thing that it says. Actually, before we go there, turn, look with me in, in verse 8 of the text, and then we'll go on to the third point. Listen to what it says. It says, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and this is the key, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. That's the key difference, that they have, they have come to believe that I came, Jesus speaking, I came from you, Father, and they have believed that you sent me, period. Again, they didn't understand all that was going to happen. They didn't understand all that that coming meant in the coming hours. It's evidence in the fact that they were very much rattled by the events that were going to happen. And Jesus knew that they were going to be rattled. But they never left him. They never fully left him. They stayed around him. And in fact, these disciples stayed close even though their courage faltered. I think it was evidence of that in the post-resurrection where who was the first ones to the tomb? Who were the first ones to hear about the empty tomb? You look at Peter's response, even though he denied Christ, he was so excited. The scripture says he marveled when the women came and told him that the tomb was empty. He hadn't left. He didn't understand it all, but he was staying around Jesus. And the third thing that I think we have to understand about these disciples, that they had banked. They had banked the full weight of their hope in his coming. They had banked it all in his coming. They had staked their entire lives upon it. And that's why they were still around at the time of the resurrection. Certainly they may have thought, how are we going to pick up the pieces in many ways? But they stayed around Jesus. They banked everything on him and what he had taught, that he had come from God and he had the words of God That's what I think the text means when it says in this text, they have kept your word. They have received it. And and as they've received it, they bank their entire life upon it. That's really a description, I think, of a follower of Christ. We are banking our life. We are staking our life. We are directing our life on that word. And that's a description, I think, of of true believers. Do we do it perfectly? No. But true believers have heard the word, they've received the word of Christ, the teaching of Christ, and they are banking their lives upon it. They are staking their lives upon it. And in fact, it describes a little later what happens when they do that, when they stake their lives upon it. Look, Look at... John chapter 17 and verse 14. Look at how they're described. We'll come to this later as we walk through this prayer. As we continue to look at how Jesus prayed for himself, for his disciples, and then prayed for those that would believe on account of them. But this is what it says. I have given them your word. Again, he goes back to that word. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What does Jesus mean when he says, I have given them your word? The word of the Father about the Son. They had come to see Jesus as their only hope. They heard about him, they received him, They banked their life on him and because of it, it was going to create difficulty for them. That's what it says. They, They have been hated by the world. And that's true. That's true because the message that we're going to come now and remember is a message that is not popular to the world. It's a message that that, by nature, the world wants to run away from by nature, the world except God begins to work in their hearts. they want to go the opposite direction out because this table this morning speaks of sin, it speaks of the fact that all of us have sinned and and the text that we read this morning that that God does not justify the guilty. And so as, as they admit their guilt, as they see their guilt, inherently within them, there's an understanding that I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And so we run from trouble. We run from those kinds of things. Inherently, left to ourselves, we run from that message. And then the second part that this message says is the only hope of a person in trouble. The only hope is Jesus. There aren't multitudes of roads. Christianity doesn't teach that. Christianity teaches that God is merciful and God is just. And the only way those two things come together, the absolute only way they come together is in the cross. In an understanding of all that that accomplished for us. There's no place else to look. There's no place else to rest. There's no place else to put the full weight of your hope, but there. And a description of one whom the Father has given to the Son is that they keep your word. They receive your word. They bank their entire hope on that word and nothing else. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what we sang this morning. Is that where you rest? Is that where your hope lies? If so, I would beckon you to come and take a seat at the table this morning, acknowledging that that's my only hope, the finished work of Christ. A number of years ago, I was in a high school auditorium in in this community. I won't tell you which one. But as I was in that auditorium, there was a a pastor on the platform who was brought there to, I, I can't remember if it was the invocation, and I think it was both, invocation and benediction, both. And that had been the custom in that particular high school for years, that they would invite clergy to come in and, pray at the beginning and pray at the end. And as those two times came, it was it was just absolutely obvious that that particular person who was selected on that particular day that no longer lives in this area is gone. And I don't think any of you will connect this. That person did everything they could, absolutely everything they could, but pray. They made an issue of the fact that they didn't pray by the way that they conducted themselves in that invocation and that benediction. It was an absolute, in my opinion, denial of receiving the word. One who believes that Jesus is, in fact, the only way would not do that. There are lots of people who are around Jesus who don't receive him and bank the full weight of their hope on him. God help us to not do that. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will be with us as we come to this table. As one prayed this morning, it's so true. It's it's not an altar, where we come and make our sacrifice. But it's a table that you invite us to come to because the sacrifice has already been made and we are just remembering the fruit of it. We are just relishing the fruit of it. We are just glorying in the fruit of that sacrifice. The fruit of that sacrifice is that you can be both merciful and just And that our sin can be forgiven. Our sin can be such that it will not be held against us. Lord, we're grateful this morning. We're grateful for the glory of that, for the beauty of that. And I pray, even as we receive it this morning, that we will rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for those who are going to help us this morning to come in your bulletin, as I've already said, we have an invitation for communion, and if you can live under that invitation, we invite you to come and, and eat and drink with us this morning. We also understand that sometimes people visit or from other traditions, and, and uh, you're just not comfortable with how we do it. You're welcome as well to pass the elements by if that, in fact, is the case this morning. We understand that. This represents the body of our Lord. The body of our Lord that came, sent from the Father to declare the word of the Father to us. I invite you to take and hold it and we'll partake together.
0: our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share In this bread of life And we drink Of his sacrifice As a sign Of our bonds of peace Around the table of the King body of our Savior Jesus Christ torn for you eat and remember the wounds that heal the death that brings us life paid the price to make us one so we share Of life and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of love around the table of the King.
1: Here in just a moment you are declaring I I have received the word and how much more for us now to receive the word and to to know the truth of all that this represents disciples didn't understand that Jesus would have to die because it would take a man to die their sin Jesus came God came fully God became fully man for one reason and one reason alone to die for our sin what a glorious truth take and eat be grateful represents the blood of Christ again to this in remembrance of him.
0: That cleanses every stain of sin shed for you. Drink and remember, He drained death's cup that all may enter in. To. Drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bond of grace around the table of the king. So with thankfulness and faith we rise to respond and to remember our call to follow in the steps of Christ as his body here on earth. As we share suffering we proclaim Christ will come again and we'll join in the feast of heaven around the table of the King.
1: Christ's blood was God's means for you and I who are and were guilty to be acquitted and God to remain just. The hope of this and what it represents is that he won't clear the guilty But as we said last Sunday, he also will not punish the innocent who are by the means of Christ, by the means that he took their penalty. He paid all that needed to be paid. And God would be just as unjust to allow the guilty to go unpunished as he would to convict those who aren't. The hope of the gospel is that God will be merciful forever to us because we've received the word, the word about Christ. Take and drink and be grateful. Stand together and pray. Father, we are amazed at the beauty of who you are. And we see that beauty in the face of Christ, the apex of your glory, the apex of your beauty is seen in what he accomplished for us. I pray this morning we will go strengthened by that, strengthened by hearing it and seeing it as we receive it and bank our life upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in God's peace. You're dismissed.